today we're going to be finishing up chapter 6, and I'm, uh, I'm very excited. Well, uh, let's just go ahead and pray real quick, and we'll pray for the Lord to bless this time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing in our church, Lord, and all of these individual lives. Um, God, I thank you for each and every person here. I ask that your Holy Spirit just uh, comes down upon us and that we are just open to you, God. We're open to what you want to minister to our hearts. We're open to your word. Lord, this is your holy written word. It's without error. It's, it's alive, and it's going to speak to us today. God, I pray that we would approach it with the reverence that it deserves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, today's sermon title is Living for Truth. And uh, we're kind of bringing it all together here at the end of First Timothy with chapter 6. And he kind of summarizes a lot of what he's been talking about in the book. And the book has largely been about how we as the, the local church, each local church has been entrusted with the truth. We've been entrusted to represent God's truth to the world, the gospel to the world. We represent that to the world. And that's an incredible responsibility and something that we should take really seriously. And because of that, there are certain things that um, the church should and shouldn't do. So he addresses false teaching. He addresses those who um, were speaking different sorts of heresy. We'll, We'll talk about those in a little bit. And then he also talks about a lot of the way the church should operate, whether that's with leadership or... Um, we talked about widows in the church or elderly in the church. He, he addresses all these things, and it kind of comes all together, and he's kind of going to bring it home with uh, chapter 6, and I'm really excited about it. And the theme verse for the series was 1 Timothy 3.15, and it says, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in, the, in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So we represent the truth to the world. And because of that, we should know how to conduct ourselves. God cares how the church operates. It's not a free-for-all sort of thing. God really does care how the church operates, how they conduct themselves. And so we've been going through First Timothy to really focus in on what God wants for the local church. So we'll be picking up today in First uh, Timothy 6, uh, verse 3. And we're going to continue... And finish up this chapter. Um, We'll start in verse 3 here. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind, who have been robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. All right, so he's addressing again those people who teach false doctrines. Timothy, from from my studying, was dealing with the church of Ephesus, and in that church there, they had three heresies or false doctrines that were coming about. The first and the most prevalent was the Gnostics. Um, they claimed to have a higher truth. So they were all spiritual. Everything was spiritual, and they claimed that there was a higher truth that you could attain, even higher than scriptures, higher than the Old Testament, higher than what the, old, uh, the 
apostles were teaching, they had a higher spiritual truth that you could attain through, through knowledge and wisdom and the spiritual uh, focus. And they also believed that everything that was physical was, was evil, and everything that was spiritual was good. So that opens them up to a lot of weird stuff because everything physical. So if you focus on anything physical at all or, or put any emphasis on anything physical, you're, you're in sin. But if you focus on anything spiritual, you're doing good. Well, that opens you up to demonic things. And you're saying, because it's spiritual, it must be good. And, and then you're blaming people, making people feel guilty about physical things that are not wrong, that God would say are good. So they would always be putting a lot of law on people like to abstain from things that God has called good. God has said it's perfectly fine to eat this or, or whatever it would be. They would get real choosy and, and picky and say these things are bad. And it's very strange. And the thing about the Gnostics is it was... It just kind of flowed. It changed all the time. If you look at different areas, this heresy has been around. It has some of its roots in kind of Jewish mysticism, some of its roots in like Greek philosophy. And it's just kind of this cluster of philosophical ideas. And it made its way into the church where they kind of applied it to Jesus. So they said that, you know, Jesus was like an incarnation of God, but he never was flesh. He didn't actually die. He didn't actually rise because he was just a spirit and he was not a real person. You were just seeing like this hologram of God. And they would, they would add because flesh is sinful. All things physical are sinful to them. So he was dealing with a lot of that. He was also dealing with just traditional Jewish legalism making its way into the church. So people who would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, right? But you have to do these things. You must do these Old Testament things to be saved. So they were taking Old Testament law and applying it to salvation. And Jesus said that he came not to get rid of the law, but what? To fulfill the law. Jesus accomplished everything that the law was for. He fulfilled it. It was finished. It was done. But they were bringing it back and saying, no, no, as Christians, we have to like, do these certain things in order to be saved. So they're dealing with Jewish legalism and Gnosticism. And then lastly, they were dealing with some form of prosperity doctrine. Whether it was those false teachers who were using the gospel as a way to get rich, or if they were teaching certain doctrines about how if you were good, you could get rich. Either way, they were dealing with those who abused um, financial gain, they, uh, they abused their position for financial gain um, and led people astray down that, down that path. And so here Paul is telling them, hey, like, you have to reject these false teachings. You have to reject these people who teach against the truth of Scripture. And what you find about these false teachers is they're just causing problems. They're, they're, they're bringing about controversies, quarrels, envy, strife malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between people of corrupt mind. It says that they've been robbed of the truth. That these, these three false teachings that he's been addressing throughout the book, they're robbing people of the truth. They're robbing them of, of the gospel. You're either making it very strange and opening people up to possibly de- demonic things, or you're adding law, or you're adding wealth and, and greed to it. You're robbing people of the truth. And so we must fight against these false teachers. They're robbing people of the truth. Well, let's continue here in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. 
And that's in contrast to those who were using the gospel or using their teachings to gain, to really gain financial gain, to gain money from their doctrines, to gain wealth from their position. But he's saying you instead focus on godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Amen. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he says here, in contrast to these people who are using the gospel, using their position, uh, creating doctrines that say that if you're good, if you serve God, then you will get rich. He's saying they're, they're actually robbing themselves of truth. They're piercing themselves with many griefs. They're falling away from the faith because of their love of money. Now, money is not bad in and of itself. Money can be used for great things. God will use um, finances to, to get the gospel out there. He will use finances to, to bless the poor. He will use wealth for, for very good things. And the church has the ability to do that. But the love of money, a selfish love, a, a greed, it causes a lot of problems. And it says that it causes people to fall away from the faith. It causes people to cause a lot of pain in their own lives. Now, um. He wants us instead to live a godly, content life. And he says that's the real gain. Like if you're, if you're concerned about gaining things, if you're concerned about gaining wealth, then live for real wealth. Live for a godly, content life. Find your peace in the simple things. Find your peace in, in God, not in accumulating more physical or material items. So he continues here in verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Interesting there, that word flee. It is, in the Greek, it carries the idea of running for your life. This is not a casual walking away. This is running as fast as you can because Pennywise is behind you. Evil clown. Uh, Halloween season, I had to throw that in there. Okay, so flee from all these things as if your life depended on it. Paul says to Timothy, flee from these false teachings as though your life depends on it. Take it that seriously. And he says, instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and, and might forever. Amen. Paul charges Timothy to live for what's good, to pursue the right things. You know, he says to him, you know, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. You know, it is really easy for us to get caught up and to not focus in on what's truly important. It's really easy to make your life about anything but God. It's really easy to put something else in the center and God as an outskirt sort of fringe item in your life. Paul's like, no, no, no. What are you pursuing? Right? I want you to flee false teachings. I want, to, I want you to flee the things that rob you uh, of truth. But I also want you to pursue with all your heart, with all your might, and all your strength, the, the righteousness, godliness, the, the faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Are those the kind of things that you're pursuing right now? Or are we getting caught up and pursuing things like financial gain? Or social status? Or... Um, physical or material things that would comfort us. When God wants us to focus on eternal life, he says, take hold of eternal life. You know, the good confession. Jesus, when he was about to be crucified and they're, they're charging him with the different things, he made a good confession and stood for his faith. He stood for what was right. He made the good confession. Likewise, Paul tells Timothy, you need to stand by your good confession. Make that confession of who you are in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He's my everything. Stand on that. Fight for that. Never leave that. That is the most important thing. All other things need to fall um, down and, and become less in comparison. And ultimately, we're remembering who we're serving, the King of kings, the, the Lord of lords. To him be the honor and might forever. Continue here, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul comes back around, and a second time, addresses wealth. You know why he's addressing it again? Because he wants you to really understand it. He wants us to have a full grasp of this. If he's talking, if you, like if somebody's repeating themselves, it's for a reason, right? Especially in scripture. If they keep repeating something, it's because God really wants you to get it. But he has some interesting points here. He's not saying that being rich is wrong. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant so not to be arrogant in your wealth like hey look at me i've got all this stuff look how great i am i worked for this you're just a lazy bum 
<laughs> you know, but to instead be humble about your wealth, realizing that nothing you have is yours and it's all God's. That's the idea here. And then he says, you have wealth, so what? Do not put your hope in it. It is not worth putting your hope in. Because riches can go away pretty quick. One bad investment, all of that wealth could be gone. One bad decision with, with your money, and you could lose it all. You see it happen all the time. So wealth is a terrible place for your hope. Instead, our hope is in God. Even if you have everything you would ever need and more, God's like, that is not a good place for your hope. Put your hope in me. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The other thing here is that he says that, you know what? It's okay to enjoy some of it. That's actually kind of encouraging. He, this, like he's put nice things in the world for your enjoyment. So you don't have to feel guilty about, you know, having a nice dinner or um, having certain nice things in life. You know what? I'm not going to preach or tell you how to spend your, your money. But I will tell you that God also says that he wants you to what? Be generous and to be willing to share. And that ultimately, if you're going to be rich in anything, be rich in good deeds, not rich in wealth. If you want to put your focus on being rich, be rich in good deeds rather than rich in wealth. But he says, hey, you can enjoy it. Like God's put nice things on this earth to be enjoyed, but you cannot be um, selfish. You cannot put your hope there. You must be generous and you must be willing to share. And ultimately, don't make that the focus of your life. Make good deeds and the treasures in heaven the focus of your life. And so what you have in the church today is you have two extremes. You have the prosperity gospel, but you also have the poverty gospel. Prosperity gospel is if you're good, God will give you financial gain. And the poverty gospel is if you're good, you would never have financial gain ever. Because you would never make that the focus of your life. All Christians should be poor. Well, the, that's not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that there are rich and poor Christians, and that in community, the rich help the poor. They're willing to share. They're willing to be generous in the church. You see that happening. But it doesn't say that the rich need to become poor. It doesn't say the poor need to behave better so that they get rich. It doesn't say that. You know, for some, some people are good at making money. Like, some people have a natural act for financial success. Like they just have a great business mind or something. And that is, I believe, a blessing from God that God wants them to go and make some money so that they can go and benefit the church. Not themselves, but benefit the church. To give generously, to support missionaries, to support local churches, to support the poor, to support different sorts of outreaches. You know, we do have to have money to fund things. And God puts wealthy people in the church to Give and give generously so that more can happen. So if you have a great business mind, you know, learn how you can use that for God's kingdom rather than your own personal gain. But also don't let anybody tell you that that in and of itself is a sin. You know, having a good business mind, being good at business, being good at making money is not a bad thing. But how are you? But what would be bad is loving that more than God, making that the focus of your life. Selfishness, of course, would also be, be wrong. All right, continue here. The last part. Verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. 
Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. He's referring to Gnosticism because their whole thing was to focus on knowledge, higher knowledge, spiritual knowledge. So that's what he's addressing there. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And he ends the book like that. He ends the book charging Timothy again, guard what you have been entrusted with. Guard it. The truth of the gospel, the holy written word of God, the principles I've given you, guard these things. You've been entrusted with it, so, so take care of it and avoid anything that would cause you to depart from your faith or to cause those who are in your care, the church, to depart from the faith, to, to, to oppose those, those heresies, to oppose those false doctrines that lead people astray. Because you need to guard what's been entrusted to you. So he ends, he ends the book really charging Timothy the same way that he began the book, to focus on the thing that we've been entrusted with. So I have three takeaways from the book of Timothy. Um, my first point is take on your big boy responsibilities. Uh-oh. <laughs> take on your big boy responsibilities. <laughs> uh, the first week I shared a story. When I was a, a kid, I... Must have been about four or five years old. We were living in, in Siberia, Russia. We lived in an apartment. And I wanted big boy responsibilities. I wanted chores. Now, I would probably in a few years very much regret ever asking for those. <laughs> but at the time, like, I wanted some big boy responsibilities. I wanted to take out the trash. And what's crazy is that Lincoln also wants big boy responsibilities already. <laughs> Just barely two years old. And every time I take out the trash, he's, like, excited to go out with me and take the trash. And so I'll, I'll like, take an item, like, from the recycling or something, like a, like a box. And most of the time he gives up about halfway through, and I have to carry it for him. But he wants to, like, carry an item and go be, like, responsible with his dad. And it's, it's pretty, pretty cute. It's fun. But when I was about four or five years old, I was like, I want to be in charge of the trash now. And so I would, the trash was, you had to go, I had to go downstairs in an apartment complex and then. I had to walk to the end of the street where the trash was, which was a pretty long walk at that age. And what I ended up doing was going outside and instead throwing it into the neighbor's fence, over the neighbor's fence, into her yard, because I didn't want to walk the whole, the whole way. And after a while, the lady came and was like, hey, you know, your son's been throwing your trash in my yard for a while, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> I've been nice and picking it up, but no more. Okay? We need to take on our big boy responsibilities. You know, it's easy to go like, hey, I want to do this thing, and then later on we don't want to do it. But, you know, we have responsibilities. We've been entrusted with the truth. You know, Christianity at times is, is difficult. You know, standing for the gospel at times is difficult. And there's going to be times where we want to give up. There's going to be times where being a Christian is not the easiest thing. It's easier to... Just be, a, you know, hey, I'll just be a worker here. I don't, I don't need to be the Jesus guy at work. Too hard. You know, we've been entrusted with the truth. We have the most important thing, the 
gospel of Jesus Christ entrusted to us. We need to represent it well. We need to take on our big boy responsibilities. I've got an image of that. I don't know what this is, but I googled big boy images, and this came up, and it's just... It's just exact, okay, burgers. Well, that's who we need to be right there. Cute, adorable, a little bit creepy. Be a big boy or big girl, you know. Big Christian. All right. Number two, we we need to be a well-oiled machine. That's a saying that you hear all the time. Hey, we're operating like a well-oiled machine. Well, in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul's been telling Timothy, how the church should conduct themselves. Everything from leadership to the, to the poor, to widows, to um, false teaching, all of these things, he's been addressing them so that we know how to operate like a well-oiled machine. But the thing about a well-oiled machine is that that implies that we're taking care of it. That you, it implies that you're keeping up with the needs, that you're maintaining it. Um, I remember I didn't change my oil on an old truck that I had for... I lost track of how many thousands of miles it was. And I started getting a knocking on the engine, right? I was like, what does that sound about? Probably because I hadn't been changing the oil. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, like, it ended up being fine. But it was because it was basically just, like, the pistons on, like, dry, like, cylinders or whatever it was. But uh, that's as much as I know about cars right there. Like, I don't even know if that's accurate. Uh, here's a picture of a well-oiled machine. I don't really know what it is but it had a lot of parts <laughs> like i don't know i just googled well-oiled machine and this came up and i was like all right like look at how many parts there are you know some some parts of running a church are kind of complex you know there's there's a lot of people a lot of emotions a lot of ideas a lot of opinions and it can be a little complex to run but a well-oiled machine will keep running if you maintain it if you keep it well-oiled and uh, Paul gives us a lot of details in First Timothy how to maintain the church. My third point is don't get caught up before you get caught up. Don't get caught up before you get caught up. What do I mean by that? Okay. We talked about how it's so easy to get caught up in, in different things, right? Whether it be financial gain or any other distraction in your life. It's easy to get caught up in these things, and all of a sudden, you know, God is on the outskirts of your life. He's on the fringe. He's a fringe item in your life. He's not a priority. And I said, don't get caught up before you get caught up. The Bible says that when he returns, we'll be caught up in the sky with him. That we will, the term there, the idea is being raptured. We're going to be taken up with him. So don't get caught up on something else before we get caught up. I've got an image of the rapture. <laughs> this is the most realistic image of, of the rapture known to man. Now, I don't know what this is. Is this like a Christian Sims? What is this? <laughs> you know, like, it looks like this, all the, like, this, there's like a Sims, like, add-on. Like, hey, rapture add-on. <laughs> like, everybody gets sucked up. Um, there's a, just a fantastic movie, well, well-reviewed, that I have not yet seen. It's Nicolas Cage in Left Behind. We got an image of that. <laughs> I have not yet seen this. You seen it? I mean, it must be fantastic if it has Nicolas Cage. 
<laughs> this came out like two years ago. Good old Nikki Cage. Uh, all, all joking aside, it is really easy to start living for anything other than God. It's really easy to forget that one day he is returning. We will be caught up in the air with him. We will be made in his likeness. Think about that. We will be glorified. We will spend eternity with him. All pain, sorrow, and grief will be gone. And we will spend eternity with God in perfect relationship. So live for that right now. Focus on that right now. Don't get caught up in all these other things before we get caught up. Make the main thing your focus. So, as we've been going through this book... Um, First Timothy, you know, some of it is it, kind of complicated. It's a little bit tricky to understand. Parts of it are very theological. Other parts are very practical. But at the end of the day, the charge is, what are you really living for? And that goes to us individually, but then it also goes to us collectively as Austin Chapel. What are we living for? Are we making the main thing the main thing? Or are we getting caught up in all this other stuff? It's really easy to get sidetracked. Are you with me? Do you ever get sidetracked? Never? It's, it's easier to get sidetracked than it ever has been before, right? I saw a post on Facebook and it was like, you know, why is it so hard to focus? And uh, here I'm trying to focus on school and here I am on Facebook, right? I saw that post and I was like, yeah. And there's like literally hundreds of apps to like block out social media on your websites than like on your phone, that you turn on the app and it, lo- it only allows you to do work items. We have all these things because it's, so, it's easier than ever before to be distracted. And, and part of it certainly is the advancement of technology. It's so easy to get distracted. But I mean, we are also just naturally that way, right? Because like you put all those apps on your phone and your computer so you can focus on work and you're still going to go, hmm, lunch. What am I going to have for lunch? You know, like it is so easy for your mind still to go another direction. Um, I, I'm like extremely ADD when I'm working on stuff. And so I just like embrace it. Like I literally, I'll work on like five or six things at once. So like I'll be on my computer and I'll be like typing up an estimate and I'll have a thought about church. So I open up my doc and I'm like, okay, I got to talk to this person about that. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I have this idea for my sermon. And I open up my sermon and I type on that. And I'm like, wow, wow, there's this estimate I'm working on for work that like I just bounce around. And like I just have to embrace it. But as long as I'm focused on like work-related things, I'm like, okay, at least I'm being productive here. But the thing is, like, it is way too easy to get distracted. And Paul's charge is like, hey, what are you living for? What are you, what are you focusing on? Is the main thing the main thing? Are you, are you focusing on and taking care and, and guarding what you've been entrusted with? Like, think about that. Like, God could have done it so many other ways. I talk about this all the time. He could have done it so many other ways. He did not have to invite you into mission. He did not have to. And here's the thing, you also do not have to participate. But he invites you into it. He invites you into it. He wants you a part of it. That's why we started this church. Church planning is not the easiest thing. It's not the easiest thing. But it's a wonderful thing to think that we can build something new where people can come in 
and find real community. They can, they can come in and they can meet God Almighty. We can, we've been entrusted with that truth and we can represent that truth to those people. That is an, an amazing responsibility. One that he's entrusted with us and that we get to participate. We've got to change our, our mentality. Because when I got older, it was no longer I wanted to take out the trash. I felt like I had to take out the trash. Right? And we so easily get there spiritually. I have to do this. All of us do. I don't know anybody who at times does not feel that way. Oh, I got to do that. I got to read my Bible. I got to go to community group. I got to go set up for church. I got to pray for my friends. Right? All of us get there. But I doubt that anybody started there spiritually. When they, when they started their spiritual journey with Jesus, I don't think anybody started, oh, I got to do that. I think when you really know Jesus, when he really gets a hold of your heart, what was your response? Like, Wow, I want to be at church as much as I possibly can. I want to serve God as much as I possibly can. We're excited about it. And then we let things get in our life where all of a sudden that responsibility feels like a chore rather than a privilege. So what do you do when you feel that way? Right? There are some things you just got to stick with it. You just keep going. You know, your practice will eventually beat out your emotion. And your emotion will eventually submit to your practice. You know, when you're reading your Bible, some weeks it's like... Some days it's like, oh, this is, I'm not getting anything out of it. Keep doing it. And all of a sudden your, your emotions start submitting to your practice and, and you are excited about it. But on like bigger, bigger things, like sometimes we get dry spells and you feel like you're in a rough spot for a while and you're not feeling it. The best thing to do is to go to God with it. Confess it to him. Just be like, God, look, I'm trying to do this. Uh, you know, my emotion's not submitting right now to my practice. So I'm letting, I've been letting go of the practice, you know. Really, when we go to God, we'll find that he will, really, he will really bless us again. He'll really come in and make it alive for us again. You have to seek him. That part you do have to do. You know, you, you, you have to go to him with it. He won't force you to do anything ever. God just doesn't do that. You have to go to him. And when you focus in on him, he starts changing your heart. He starts making the word alive to you again. He starts giving you passion and desire where you didn't have it. But you have to go to him. Because that is where it all stems from, Right? We don't set up chairs on Sundays to set up chairs. Like the, the purpose isn't organized chairs, right? Like I don't have like this weird thing for straight rows of chairs, right? Like that is not the point of what we're doing here. And the point isn't cables. Like we love cables here at this church. We're just all about cables. The more cables, the better. No, no one's like, hey, I'm so excited about cables. <laughs> like that's not the focus. Right? And then in your, in your life, it's like so many of the things that we're called to do, whether that's to witness or to, to be a part of community and, and 
be a part of a transparent community where we're taking care of each other and praying for each other. Like, we're not just there to talk, right? We're not just there for, like, numbers. We're not just there for anything like that. Ultimately, it's all for God. It's all for Him. And when we get that right, when we get Him set in the right place in our hearts, when we get Him set in the right place in our church, it all makes sense. But without that, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. Without God, none of the stuff we're doing makes a lot of sense. Because then it is just setting up cables and chairs for no real purpose. And when we lose sight of why we do what we do, of course we're going to not feel it. So my challenge is, Austin Chapel, let's focus in on God. Always making him the priority. And anytime we stray from that, come back to him repentantly, confessing. Lord, like, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't feel it lately. When you do that, a lot of times you find that he really starts working on you right then and there. But a lot of times we don't do that. We don't go to him as a loving father with, with an open embrace ready for us. We go to him as you know, this judge. And so it's like dreading to go to him. You know, the Bible calls us a lot of things. It calls us um, servants of God. It calls us uh, creation, right? It calls us um, citizens of heaven, so like a nationality. So that's a little more intimate, but still not that intimate. Like how close do you feel to our president? Like it's not like a close relationship, right? And a servant doesn't feel that close to their, their master, you know? Most employees don't feel that close to their boss. So the most significant relationship that the Bible talks about, and the one that he talks about the most, is that of father and child. Father and child. We go to him as a loving father who cares for us. Now, a lot of times we're going to him as one of those other things. We're going to him as our master, as our president our creator. And those are all true. And they're all aspects of who he is to us. But the most important one is that he's our father and he loves us as a child. And that means that we can go to him for a warm embrace spiritually. We can truly go to him and feel close to him. And he adds purpose to what we're doing. He adds meaning to what we're doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you have done for us, God. Thank you for the privilege that we have of starting this church, Lord, of getting to serve you at any capacity, God. I'm so thankful that we get to do that, Lord. I pray that we would not lose sight of why we do what we do, Lord. That we would not lose sight. That we, um, we need you, Lord. We cannot do any of this without you. And if we try, it's pointless. But we need you in our church. We need you to be in every part of it. We need you to lead every single part of what we do, God. We need you to lead each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that we would press into the relationship we have with you, that we would press into it that we would not fear coming to you, 
but instead run to you as one who loves us. And we know that no sin separates us from you anymore because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So in his name we pray. Amen.